Hi, everybody, and welcome to the sports edition of the Rancho Cordova podcast, sponsored, of course, by the California Capital Film Office, located right here in Rancho Cordova. Friends, if this is your first time checking us out, you really couldn't have come in at a better time. Today's guest is simply a living legend who coached varsity baseball for Cordova's Lancers for 45 seasons. And it's hard to imagine, but that's, uh, that is quite an accomplishment. Twice he's helped select the American Baseball Coaches High School All-America team. He's an unabashed Giants fan, passionate about the game of baseball, and yeah, during those 45 seasons, had a reputation for being, well, a little fiery. So versatile, he's even pretty good at ballroom dancing, they tell me. So today's guest, he's preparing for yet another season with the Golden Senior Softball Club. We're going to talk about all this and more with Guy Anderson. And Coach, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mike. A pleasure. And uh, thank you for the great introduction there. I didn't realize I had that many things going. That's great. Well, that's just a fraction. And Coach, it's great to have you now. I, I'm going to jump right to the beginning. Early in life, they tell me that you tried music and yeah. uh, a couple of instruments. I think the sax might have been one of them. Uh, but as the story goes, that's the, that's the direction mom and dad wanted you to go. But you had other plans. Well, you had to know my dad was a very fine musician, a very fine drummer, not only uh, in dance bands, but also in orchestras as well with the with the gun, uh, with the drums and what have you, and so that kind of locked me into the clarinet and also the uh, bass horn for a while. But uh, I liked the outside a little better than inside, and the baseball kind of took its toll on it. Now, your dad uh, was a welder for a, a number of years. Combination gas and electric welder at Mare Island Naval Yard for over 45 years. Mm -hmm. That's why I got into the Navy, because he told me years ago about the time that it's quite a few years ago that the draft was getting close to me, and he told me that uh, you'll always have a warm bed and a good meal once a day at least if you go in the Navy, and that's that's what we took his advice. Well, that's fabulous, and I know your mom you know, was a can-do person as well. What can you tell me about your mother? Uh, typical Italian lady, uh, very fine cooker, uh, great house uh, woman, uh, uh, didn't really go outside too much of that, uh, in regards to organizations and that, but she was very active in her son's uh, uh, education and, and that, that bit as well. But uh, she was a great, uh, she put a dinner on a table that, boy, I'll tell you, you loved. Well, uh, being in, uh, with Italian roots, I would expect nothing less. But I also understand that she kind of kept a tight rein on you. She had her eyes on you most of the time. Well, when you're the only child, that locks into a couple of things that you have to be aware of. And one of the things is that I happen to have been born as a, a uh, uh, I'm trying to think of the word now. She had to be operated on to, to uh, have me. A cesarean? have it in a, in a yeah. cesarean birth is what it was. And from cesarean birth, we went to diphtheria and pneumonia, measles and mumps. And so with that, she had her hand on me pretty tight. Wow, that's great. We're talking with Guy Anderson, a famed coach, baseball coach at Cordova High School, uh, also Napa High School graduate, class of 51, I believe. Class of 51, Napa High Indians, and, yeah. And, uh, you, uh, you, sir, you played ball for Napa High School? Played ball for Napa High School. Played uh, at the time I uh, went to uh, school in Napa, they had what they called the, the 644 plan, which was uh, six years of the elementary school, four years of junior high school, seven through ten. So I got a chance to play as a ninth grader and a tenth grader on a junior high team. And then high school was 11 and 12, and we also had the junior college with us, 13 and 14. So uh, I got a chance to, to play at both the junior high level and the, and the high school. And I was a small little guy that could play middle infield and run pretty good. Well, apparently you still can, or else you wouldn't be playing with the Golden Seniors. Uh, and we'll get to that in uh, just a minute. Now, Coach, you came to Cordova High School, uh, obviously, at a time you know when the school opened in the fall of 63, uh, when Rancho was a bedroom community, community of Sacramento, uh, anchored by Mather Air Force Base. Things were a, diff a bit different back then, weren't they? Quite a bit different. And just to go back a few years from that, uh, I happened to uh, work for a florist for a couple of years in Napa and uh, uh, also worked on the weekends in the mortuary and had to come up here to uh, El Dorado, up, I think up at the Placerville it was, and, and pick up 
a, a, a person who had stepped over a fence with a shotgun hunting and it shot him and killed him. Oh. So I, but my point being, I, I, I picked him up and brought him back to Napa. And at that time, it was just driving down Folsom Boulevard. There was no Highway 50 or anything like that at the time. And then when I came back out of Chico State and, and went to uh, Marshall High School over in West Sacramento, then it, you know, then, then it started growing quite a bit. And at one time, Coloma Road was a two-lane highway with trees right down the middle of it, right past Mills Junior High School and on. And now, of course, it's a four-lane highway almost uh, on Coloma Road. So, yeah, we, to your point again, we've seen a, a, a lot of changes in the overall geographics of Rancho Cordova. Sure. Now, what led you to uh, get a gig at Cordova? Take, uh, a, take us back to 62 or 63. Well, I, I'm I sure you had from, options. Okay. I'm sorry. I, I graduated in 61 from, from Chico State, and I had my choice at that time to go to Concord and coach and teach down there or go to Marshall High School in West Sacramento, and I knew a little bit more about Sacramento because I used to follow even the Solons years ago on radio from Napa and uh, chose that. And I was there for two years, and the uh, vice principal got the uh, uh, principal job over at, uh, at Cordova High School, and he asked if I would come with him uh, and start the faculty over there. And so we opened up the school brand new in 1963, yeah, 63-64. Uh, and uh, at that time, we were uh, an experimental high school with large group instruction, uh, modular scheduling, and we kind of developed into our scheduling. And in our scheduling, went to where you went to school three times a week on Monday, Wednesday, Friday for certain classes, Tuesday and Thursday. It was uh, really a different from the standard high school that you had. And we also had the uh, luxury of having Mather Air Force Base and their families and their offsprings coming at that time. So it was it was quite interesting. What struck me about Cordova, my family moved here in the fall of 62 uh, from, uh, from Atascadero, which we spent a short time at. But what struck me about that high school, it was a college campus. It looked, it had sprawled out. There were several buildings that almost looked like a mini college campus. And when you just mentioned that some of the classes were Monday, Wednesday, Friday, that's really kind of a college prep type of schedule. Uh, that high schools really hadn't seen up to that point. And then you had Cordova Park being built, uh, the Ducks, uh, all of it. It was all brand new and growing up at a time. And, you know, obviously having you open the school as well as many others oh, really the, represented uh, a sea change in, in Rancho Cordova. Yes, we, and we had some real visionary people. We had Paul Hagen, who was the uh, superintendent at the time of the Parks and Rec. Neil Orchard took it over after Paul retired. And uh, they had a, a just a tremendous vision of what parks, in the, which would be built next to schools like at Mitchell and like at Mills and Cordova and like, uh, to be able to utilize the facilities by both the school district and the district uh, of, of uh, Parks and Rec for Rancho Cordova. Now, your five-section uh, championship teams were all terrific. Uh, and we'll talk about some of those ball clubs shortly. But I know that you hold a special affinity for one group of young men, the 1972 team. They didn't win an area title, but they went 25-3. and three. Uh, That club, of course, featured Randy Lurch, uh, Niles Nyman, Mike uh, Jerry Andina. Manuel, Andina. How special was that group? Uh, very special, uh, and to the degree that in following a, your life through through life, so to speak. Uh, Randy has always been one of my favorites, and we've always been in contact one way or another, whether he, when he's playing for the Phillies or the, or the Giants. And, and uh, uh, we just uh, had good contact with, I just, in fact, it's been a year and a half, I guess now, Mike Ondina came up from Florida to, to visit his sister and, and uh, came over, and we had a nice dinner together. And just that type of with Billy Kimsey was one on there, I believe, as well. It, mm -hmm. they, uh, there was a lot of feeling, and, of course, they were very talented. They were, if I tell people uh, uh, coaching is very much like being a jockey. Uh, you have to have the, so excuse the expression, but you have to have the animals to be successful. And in a jockey, you have to have that horse to be successful. You're not going to do it yourself. And that's kind of what our approach in coaching was a little bit that, they had to they had to make their show uh, really good for me to look 
pretty good as a coach. Sure, sure. Uh, in the uh, recent release documentary film on Rancho Cordova, uh, Rancho Cordova, From the Gold Rush to Space, you made a comment in that film that was rather poignant. Uh, you, had, you had kids that when they came to play, they came to win. And a lot of those kids were youngsters. That's something that's not taught in, in many cases. How was that coaching some of those kids coming up in 8th, ninth, 10th grade with that kind of an attitude coming in? Well, that, that's what a coach hopes he has. And if not, he has the job of instilling the idea that, uh, yes, there's sportsmanship. We know all about that and being a good, bright guy and all that. But there's also when you compete, you have to have that desire to win. I don't care if I play you Mike and Checkers today, uh, I'm going to beat your butt. I mean, I, I'm not going to be here just to have fun with you. Uh, fun comes into the game after you start learning how to win also. And winning is fun, but it, it develops the skill level to an next elevation. Uh, you know, I look at uh, another young man I see all the time, Larry Wolf, and, and uh, this is a young man that had a tremendous, tremendous arm. Uh, but he was also a tremendous shortstop as well. And, and uh, the skill level, you, you, when you have a young man like that or a Randy Lurch or a, uh, any of these uh, young men, at, uh, Max Venable, you, you, it turns the coach on to want to get him to the next level. And they're already with you. They're already, they know what winning's all about. They know what they have to do to, to win. And so you've got to get that to the, to the next level of, that uh, don't worry about it. And, and, you know, it's no different than basketball or football. Uh, if you can instill the idea of the spirit of competition and winning, you're going to win a hell of a heck of a lot of ball games. Sure, sure. Friends, we're talking with longtime Cordova High School baseball coach Guy Anderson. And, Coach, uh, you mentioned him earlier in the, uh, in the broadcast. One of your early stars was Randy Lurch, the great southpaw, arguably – one of the best, if not the be, if not the best left-hander to come out of Cordova High School, and that by no means is a slight to any of the other stars no, that, no, uh, no, that, that Major League Baseball rosters. But at what point did you realize Lurch was going to be a star? Well, n- number one, his dad kind of let me know because Randy was kept back one year at Mills Junior High School. He was uh, at the eighth grade. He would have come over to to Cordova as a ninth grader. And he was kept back a year because he wasn't a very big young man. He, he had a little height, but he was skin and bones. He did not have a, a real big body to him, so to speak. And then staying that extra year in junior high school matured him to get to where he did, and, uh, which was, what, was he 6'7 or 6'8, whatever, and uh, just a, a wonderful arm that stayed with him all the time and, and a very smart young man when it comes to the area of baseball. He understood the game real, real well. He could have been, and I've told him that a half a dozen times, if his arm would have gone bad at any time, he could have been a first baseman up there too. He, he was a very fine hitter and uh, could have played first base, I think, at the major league level as well as he had the skill of hitting as well. Absolutely. But, uh, we, we talked about that when I talked to him a, a month or so ago for this broadcast. Mm-hmm. And But back then in the 70s, you either pitched or you played defense. The, right. the, the DH was fine, but there was no two-way players like, like today where you have Shohei Otani and maybe a few others coming up in the Correct. minor leagues. But definitely, I remember him as being a fabulous hitter in high school. Uh, he hit three fifty one one year, and he just would hit. He never got cheated at the plate. No, no. He, he had a, a wonderful bat. And that's, that's a tough one, when, you know, when you come down to sign a pro contract and what have you, when you've got the two talents like that. But uh, – his his breaking pitch was as good as any high school uh, ball player I've ever had the opportunity to coach. I mean, he had a breaking pitch that, and again, I think it's because he had long arms, he had good fingers, he had long legs. Uh, his breaking pitch was was just unbelievable. Back in '71, he played on the JV team, uh, went nine and zero for uh, Rich Rose. You called him up to the varsity for the Reading tournament. There was a particular <laughs> game, uh, which really started his varsity career. He, uh, uh, you went with the veteran Don Reese against Anderson High School in the right. finals. Uh, Donnie didn't have it in the first inning. You called on Randy, and Randy shut the door six and two thirds innings. Exactly. One hit baseball, struck out eleven. At that point. You knew you had something, obviously, as a building block for the 72 and the 73 teams. True, very true. And at the same time, we, we also had 
a, a great deal of talent on the team and in the program. And you, uh, you, you are better off leaving that youngster down at the sophomore level to get his confidence. And Rich Rose was a former left-handed pitcher himself. And so that, that uh, uh, I added to the, my decision of keeping him down on the sophomore level while he matured and, and again, got his body. He, he was just a slim little kid and he developed into a, a, a nice looking young man uh, physically and he needed that time to do so. And sometimes you can bring a youngster up a little too soon and he doesn't end up doing as well as he should. So uh, that was kind of the reasoning behind it. I remember uh, spending a few mornings at your house uh, back when I worked at the oh Green God, Sheet. Yes. And back in 74 when Niles was called up for a cup of coffee there late in the season uh, in, uh, 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 for the White Sox. You've coached a number of players, and I know we've talked about Nyman, the Lurches, the Wolves. Uh, tell us a little bit about Jerry, uh, you know, Jerry Manuel. Well, the, he, he was as special as they get. Uh, he had all the things you wanted to know. I mean, he was quick. He was a good infielder. He could play second, third, or short with no problem whatsoever. He had a great arm. We used him as a reliever a couple of times because he did have a good arm during the season to get a couple innings in. But he, uh, he's just a great athlete, and it's, it's proven itself how great an athlete he is because he – Ended up being a manager of the Chicago White Sox for a period of time. And I had the opportunity to go back and see him when he managed the uh, New York Mets. And, and his knowledge of the game and what have you that went with it, he could have been an outstanding basketball player. I think maybe the only shortcoming he would have had would have been his height. But he, he, he could have been in, in the uh, category of, of uh, the good basketball players in the NBA. I mean, he, he could handle the ball. He could shoot real well. He was a little too small to be a football player, but he was a great wide receiver. Sure was. UCLA offered him a full ride to come down there before he signed the contract for the pro baseball. And uh, uh, as I told him before, while he was given decision-making on this, I was lucky enough and fortunate to be involved with Bernie DeVivros, who was the uh, scout for the uh, Detroit Tigers and doing the negotiations with for Jerry. And I told Jerry, I said, the only thing is, Wide receiver, they get one knee one time, and you won't be receiving anymore, and you won't be playing anything anymore. Where in baseball, I, I think you you got a better shot of not getting yourself hurt in that manner, and and uh, hopefully that turned him a little bit to to, to well, be the number one pick for the Detroit Tigers. It must have. Obviously, he took baseball. Yeah, and uh, excuse me, Mike, but yeah. along with that, the, there were two infielders, Twilliker and and. Uh, I'm trying to think of the other infielder for the Detroit Tigers and Jerry Manuel. There were three of them in the triangle going for two positions, shortstop and second base. I think Trammell was one of them. Trammell was one of them, and Whitaker was the other one. And those two nosed out Jerry, and Jerry went back to AAA for a while before he got traded to to, uh, Detroit or to San Diego. But it's interesting because all three of them were very, very good baseball players. One of the things that always impressed me about Jerry, and I've shared this with him, he, he's great on names. He will recognize yeah. you in different environments. And he did that with me once as a sports writer. He picked me out across the room. Uh, they had come into Oakland back in the in the, uh, in the late 70s. Okay. And uh, he, he picked me out, and I felt very honored. And here right. I was, kind of a right. cub reporter and everything. But uh, he was just that way. I always had a presence about him. A couple of other players that you coached uh, as well, Steve Finch and Chris Bazio. Steve Finch uh, had the best fastball of uh, maybe any of those that you've named so far. Uh, we played Fairfield High School on a day much well, it wasn't raining, but much like the windy day we're in today. And the wind was right in his face when he was pitching, and he was being clocked at 92 and 93 miles an hour. Uh, he, 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 he was, a, he was a, a great one. He really was. And uh, when he went with the Texas Rangers, we were in on his negotiations and what have you with Patty Cortell, who was the scout at the time. But uh, he had a couple of problems with Texas mounds the, in the minor leagues, one of the mounds collapsed a little bit on him, and it, it gave him a pull on his leg. And he had a few injuries that that, that kind of uh, hurt him just a little bit. Uh, the other one, Basio, uh, tough guy. Uh, he, uh, he, Henri guy. If I, and he, I, I would tell him to his face. Sure. I knew this. 
and yet a very uh, loyal person. In fact, I just saw him here a, a year or so ago, and he went into the Hall of Fame here in Sacramento, and, and I got a chance to meet his wife and his, his uh, uh, youngsters and, and the like, and he's done real well. And he got into a kind of a tough situation in, in uh, uh, was it in Detroit? I Detroit. Detroit, I guess yeah. it was, yeah. But uh, uh, he, he, he had a great fastball. Uh, he had his ball moved all the time. Uh, he just, he was really a good one. He really was. And, uh, I think he had a pretty good career. I'm, I'm sitting home watching the Seattle Mariners play a, a ball game on TV. And, and, uh, uh, I, I guess I just started it and I went out and did some things and my wife called me and said, Hey, they're talking about Chris. Well, he was on the mound and that's when he pitched that no hitter for the, for the Mariners. And the shortstop, of course, was, uh, oh, what was his name? He played for uh, the Giants for a couple of years, too, a real good one. He made a couple of plays that really saved the, the uh, no-hitter. But uh, uh, real, uh, just a, a real tough guy. You know, from, from the mound, off the mound, there has to be a, a change uh, when you go on the mound. It, it's, it's a dedication or, or a toughness, or I don't know what we, we could find words for. Because you're, it's like wrestling, I guess, very much like wrestling. You're one-on-one. You're one-on-one with the batter. Even though you have a team behind you and what have you, you're the guy that nothing starts. A game never starts until that pitcher can throw the ball. Right. And so that element there, and he was, uh, Chris, a real, real good one. And he's doing real well now. He's down in Arizona. and He's been doing a little little uh, work with the Arizona Diamondbacks as well. And uh, he was a pitching coach at for somebody for a while too but uh it great you'd be surprised he was kind of a a wild one in high school but he's he turned out to be a fine young man he really did well you've uh, you've run the gamut on a lot of the players different personalities of course jeff jenkins has to be mentioned as oh, one of absolutely. the top, top players great power hitter super student uh, and from everything i can remember just a joy to coach well i tell you he uh, a couple of the scouts when they were looking at him uh, we're concerned that you know, he, he, they use this term today that I don't like, which he launched the ball. I think you hit the ball. I think you drive the ball. I don't think you launch the ball. But he would launch the ball, I mean, a, a long ways. And the one thing the scouts were concerned was his foot speed. And I, to one guy, one of the scouts, I said, well, what, what the hell does he need his foot speed for? The ball's going out of the ballpark. He can walk around the ballpark, you know. But uh, Jeff... Very good one. He's very successful down in in Arizona right now, and he's got a a young uh, young man that that uh, uh, is his brother's son. That that's uh, Brett, who was a very good ball player too. That's I think maybe end up being a pro sometime. You know, coach, your coaching style obviously emphasizes a disciplined approach, and you're a student of the game. And I recall you using a few out of the box tools. And back in the 1980s. All your players were provided a Cordova High School baseball record book. And I found it very – what struck me is that they could see the stats of what the likes of a Max Venable or a Jerry Manuel right. or a Larry Wolf or a Lurch could do. But you had your kids write their own stats on the inside bill of their hats. Correct. How important was that? Well, you know, I, again, one of the things that – I was a varsity baseball coach, and if you are, you have to have a program. You just don't have a team. And, and, and you have to build a program, whether it's uh, posters in the community to see the schedules and the light, or fundraisers or whatever they might be. And one of the things, though, uh, is that I wanted to focus on having a, 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 a booklet, which I, we put together, of the record. So, like you say, you could see what these young men have done in them. Geez, Wolf's playing for the Boston Red Sox, and I'm playing for the Cordova Lancer. There's a chance maybe that I might do that someday. So I think that was v- real important. And then I think putting it on your hat just just focused a little bit more. Uh, and uh, uh, it had a plus and a minus. If you weren't doing very well, you weren't putting much on your hat. It didn't look real good, I guess, <laughs> on it. But uh, I just felt it, it, it kept track of what you were doing. And, again, with – Media coverage, newspaper coverage has changed a great deal. We used to have uh, the batting averages once a week from the various leagues for the players and the stuff in, in the Sacramento Bee and the Sacramento Union. You could see that. Now you, you, you didn't. It, as, it, as they went out the window in the 
other electronics came in and what have you. So this was a way, again, of, of focusing on, on what they were doing and what they had to do. Let's get to some of your section title teams, and we'll go to the 1981 team, which was, I believe, the first of your of your championship mm-hmm. ball clubs was special. Mike Dolan was on that team, along with Pat Sullivan and Kevin Atwood. Yes. You know, you had three yeah. good ones there, plus mm-hmm. some others. Uh, uh, I remember you beat Toke uh, for the title that year, and you had a young man, Scott Aber- Abernathy, mm-hmm. uh, kind of a versatile all-around player, right. hit, a, hit a double to win the game. That mm-hmm. was a scrappy bunch. Very scrappy bunch, and we beat a very good team that was uh, coached by the uh, former coach at Elk, Elk Grove, uh, and he passed away. Uh, uh, gee, Is I that left. Gary Dreyer? Gary Dreyer, yep. thank you. Yeah, we lost Gary Dreyer, and I'll t- tell you a sidebar of that in a minute. But Gary was was the coach of Fairfield High School at uh, uh, at the time that we uh, had that. And, and it, yeah, you know, uh, Dolan didn't have a great fastball, but he had great location. Jane Speed's great location, did a real good job. Sullivan was one heck of a catcher. He was a tough catcher and a real. He ended up uh, uh, playing in in professional ball for a, a spell. He's a coach back in Tennessee, or had been. He's probably retired now. Uh, back in uh, Tennessee, I believe he ended up moving back there. But uh, a very fine ball player. What was the third one you just mentioned? I just lost my training thought of it. I'm sorry. You can look at uh, it. Jim Massey. Uh, Massey was another one. Jim was a, a nephew of Clark Massey, our track coach. And, uh, uh, boy, he, he was a, a, a he ended up signing and playing pro ball for a while. Had great speed and a, a good good infielder. And we played him, I think, at shortstop for quite a bit. Yeah, well, you know, Clark had told him, and I remember this story. I probably you, brought him you, over. <laughs> you're, you're going over to play baseball? Don't you yep. dare embarrass me. You're going to wind up on the cross-country team. There you go. With there a, you go. With well, a I, wink and a I, nod. I know Clark had something to do with getting him at Cordova <laughs> High because he lived over in Central Sites. Right. And he, he got him to come over there. You mentioned Gary Dreyer, uh, the beloved yeah. coach at, at uh, Elk Grove High School, who, uh, who uh, uh, unexpectedly passed away. I know you had a relationship with him. Uh, you had one, in, uh, and a, a very good one, in fact, but the uh, one story, and I know I'll never forget this, we played Elk Grove on a Saturday, and if you played against Gary, he, he had a demeanor that if he got beat, he never came over and talked to you. I mean, just get the kids, get in the bus, get in there, and that, that was his demeanor. And we played over there, and we played on a Saturday, and, and we beat uh, in a real close ball game. And after the game was over, Gary came over and he sat and he talked to me for about an hour, just chatting. He's never done that before in his life. He had a stroke that night, and he never recovered. And we lost him at that time. Wow. Uh, he was a hard. He, he was again the the type of baseball coach or the coaches that you had in that era. Uh, they were great people. They they did things you never knew that they did for for people. But they were hard-nosed up front, and, and they let you know that this is how we, we're playing to win, you know, type of thing. And, and Gary was a good competitor. I, I always tried to schedule Elk Grove. Well, I know he had a lot of respect for you uh, during those years. I was yeah. working for the Elk Grove Citizen, and he told me a week in advance, we've got Cordova on our schedule. And, I mean, he was fired up about that whole game. I think you took him till the fifth or sixth yep. inning. You ended up beating him. Yeah. But uh, it we, was competitive through winning. five. Right. But uh, he, he was he, he was certainly a gamer. Um, one of the players that, that you coached, I know um, you, you had a, a, a lot of affection for, Jimmy Noonan played for you back in the mid-70s. Oh, uh, boy. He passed away a few years ago. Yeah. and. I remember you had mentioned he was perhaps the grittiest player that you ever coached. Tell yeah, us about Jimmy. Yeah, I, I tell you, he, he was such a good baseball player. And uh, uh, he, uh, he did, you know, he, he was my shortstop during those great years and the like. And then uh, a, he, uh, we, uh, let's see, uh, Coach Brock was the, was the baseball coach at Arizona State at the time, and Pat Keener was his assistant coach and recruiter. And, and uh, we had two guys go down there at the same time, and they happened to be the best of friends. One was Mike Anisich and one was Jimmy Noonan. And then Jimmy signed off of that campus with, with the Colorado Rockies. And uh, he, he, was, he was in a bar having a drink after a game or before whatever. And he had a 49er jacket on. And somebody down the end of the bar is bragging about how Colorado is going to beat uh, 
or Denver actually is going to beat the 49ers that weekend and Jimmy was one of those that had a little short trip chicken cheer rather and uh, before you knew it they were on the floor going at each other a little bit but he uh, he became a, uh, a, a, a uh, thanks Mike he became a a special friend I guess I just use the word special because friends are, are special but he was a special friend that we we took that friendship all the way through his career as a baseball player into uh, an area of 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 darkness for him in regards to alcohol and that type of thing he had some real tough goes and what have you and we all he always would come by my house and see me and we talk and what have you and so we, we had a probably about a 15-year relationship of this type of thing I mean I thought him much like a, I'd have a son I mean he's sure. just that that type of guy and and just a, a, a great guy and, and uh, he and Mike were the best of friends so uh, and that's another great player, Mike Anisich. But Noonan was special. He was special. They only make one of them. Thank God for that. Uh, he uh, he went down to Arizona State on on a scholarship, and and he had like uh, a couple periods of tennis and period of something else, and and then maybe one other class when he started down there. And I talked to Brock one day. He called me. He says, you know, he he never goes to class. <laughs> And I said, well, they must be tough. And then he told me these classes. I said, what the? He wouldn't go to tennis? No. no he, he, just, he just, he wasn't a student, let's put it that way. Jimmy sure. really wasn't, what, he was He was smart. He knew the, but he just, he just, one of those guys, he wasn't a student. Sure. But he loved to play ball. And he stayed, and, and Brock, tough when he, Brock was an ex-Marine. And he didn't, he didn't put up with foolishness. Can't be late to practice or anything. And. You get on his bad side, you're not going to play baseball for him. Well, Jimmy uh, had, certainly uh, was a great player. He still remains the only high school player to hit a home run out of Hughes Stadium. Yes. He did that in the 76 Optimus All-Star game. Yes. Did it on the first pitch. Yep. And uh, that, that thing went out like a rock. Of course, Hughes was... It was a little was, short left field. Uh, uh, he's still quite a poke. Your 1983 section team was another good one. Uh, Scott Selner, Jack McCauley was on that team, Matt Crouch. Uh, tell us a little bit about that one. That was your second title team. Yeah, uh, Jeff McCau- or, uh, McCauley rather, is back in Indiana now. I think it's Indiana or Illinois with his family, like doing real good. Great center fielder. Crouch, in fact, uh, channeled a little bit of Randy Lurch in the semifinals that year. Uh, you had called upon him with two out in the first inning. Brought him in. And uh, uh, all he did was shut the door of the last six. Yep, and and at that time, the uh, uh, Stockton uh, Ball Club had a radio program that followed them and was announcing the ball game at Renfrey Field. And uh, I guess I I had a chance to get a copy of the of it after the game, and they were you know talking about it. Coach probably doesn't know what he's talking about, bringing in this guy here, blah, 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 which was kind of funny to go with it. But Matt ended up being a very fine professional baseball player with the Kansas City team for a number, few years as well. And uh, uh, his brother, Zach, you know, a big left-hander and, and a great pitcher and ended up being with the Boston Red Sox as well. But Matt, uh, just he, I hear from him every once in a while, especially on Facebook all contact with him a little bit as but he was a, a real fine middle infielder uh yeah coach uh, we're talking with uh, coach guy anderson cordova high school a legendary coach we're going to pivot just a minute now you have got the innate ability to not stand still you're always in motion now your daughter kelly tells me that you've redefined aging now Max Miller, who obviously you have known for 40, 50 years, once described you as ageless. I got to tell you, Coach, what's your secret? You've lived two lives. Well, I don't know about that, but I know that, that uh, when I was in my 60s, a my, uh, uh, couple of friends of mine said, you, you, you thought of playing Golden Seniors. And I didn't know anything about the Golden Seniors bit. I had played fast pitch softball when I was young, but I had never played slow pitch softball. And... Uh, my uh, lovely wife, who's the, part of the reason I hope I think I'm still here, but uh, uh, Karen said, why don't, why don't you sign up and play? So I, I think at that time it was 55, or, or, right, or, or six, right, right in that area there that you played with the 60-year-olds or what have you. And so I've been playing ever since with them. 
and I, I play about three games a year, or three leagues a year. Uh, now I'm going to play one one league this year and, and be the 75s. You're going to back down a little bit? Well, uh, yeah, and uh, the 75s are still competitive, and they, they, I got asked to play with the 80s uh, in the league, and, and uh, I told them, I says, I watched one game, and it, it by the time the right fielder got out to the game was almost over, so I, I, I don't <laughs> want to go that slow. But seriously, I've, I've been very fortunate uh, to play on the, uh, on the 80 and the 85 team, the Sacramento Gold, which we'd won the national championships both times back in, in Las Vegas. And then two months ago, uh, I got invited to, we have a, an inaugural 90-year-old classic. And uh, uh, they used Mississippi River as the line of departure, so to speak, and from the east of that, they selected a team, and from the west, they selected a team of Golden Seniors to play, and I was fortunate enough to to be selected, so I got seven innings of shortstop here uh, about two months ago up at Vegas, uh, which was kind of fun to be with the 90-year-old group since I'm in that bracket right now. But it, 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 it's, you know, uh, I tried golf for a while, and, and it's such a frustrating game, and, and, but it, it, it's a good game where you can talk to your buddies and visit, enjoy. Sure. Softball, Golden Seniors, same way. You, 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 you have a great group of guys to to talk to and what have you, and a lot of them are, are pretty good, are pretty good ball players. But you bike, you bike 20, 30 miles a week. Yeah, uh, they, they, they I got to tell you one sidebar of that though too, so everybody recognizes. I do have a e-bike now, which is a, uh, it it's, has electric motor to booster your going up hills and stuff of that, so it, it helps you boost a little bit. But yeah, we'll go every uh, twice a week. We go 30 miles. Well, I, I hear that uh, when dating, you cut a deal with Karen. That uh, as the story goes, she agreed to go to your games if you'll begin riding a bike. I think that was absolutely true, and I thought I made a mistake on riding the bikes. But I followed her on the trail and you know, all the trail up and down in, in Rancho and up to Folsom and down to Watt Avenue and the like. And w once I got going, it, it became a, a, a fun venture and. and we enjoy riding now. We really do. Now, you have three wonderful daughters, Amy, Kelly, and Carrie, who I remember for years would be perched right behind backstop at many many of your games. It was almost like having three miniature Guy Andersons back there, you yeah. know, giving jazz. I mean, right. it, it was it was great. Well, you know, we did something that, that uh, I'm really proud of that we did at the time based on what society is doing today with, with the movement of women in important areas and the like. But baseball, we've always had, uh, when I was a couple of years coaching, I had a couple of managers. And, and they were not athletes. They were nice kids, and they just they loved the game, and they took care of the bats and the balls, and, and did, then they did some timing for me and the like. And, and then I, I got the, had the daughters, and I wanted them involved, so we st started what they called the baseballettes. And it ended up I had 12 baseballettes when, we, when I finished up at Cordova because I had charts for them. I had where the ball was being hit. For, you're playing in, a, in leagues now where you play everybody three times. You can do some pretty good charting on them and know what, what you're doing. So you put them to work. Yeah. I timed them going down to first. had two of them timed going to first base. If you were at second and you scored, I had the timing doing that. So the girls were really involved, and, and they, then they loved it because we got a special shirt for them that had Cordova on it that they wore and, and the like. I took, I took six of them to, to Hawaii when we went over to play over in Hawaii that one year. And, but they, they were great on the bus. It made a different bus trip than just having a group of guys shooting the breeze, being a little loud. It changed the complexion of the bus with the young ladies in there. It just it just did, so that that was great. Uh, Kelly was a, a good softball player, and I coached her. And softball was really re pretty good. Carrie was a, an outstanding softball pitcher. She was a slingshot artist, and Amy was just a little scrapper and a pretty good little middle infielder as well. And and uh, I was not blessed to have a son uh, in that regard, and so it was nice to be able to coach the girls and what have you. It worked out. I also have a. Uh, a, a, a daughter with 
with, that uh, Vicky and, and his son Mike now with my marriage to Karen. So it, that put it together pretty good, too. Well, you've got some great grandchildren, too, and, uh, one of whom is a state youth leader with the California FFA. Is that right? We're going down Friday for the National Future Farmers of America Convention. And my granddaughter, uh, Abigail, she's the current student body president of FBLA, or F Future Farmers, FFA, uh, for the state of California. And she's been, I, I never had heard this even in my field of education a little bit, they have given her this year off between her graduation here this last year at Elk Grove High School and when she'll go to college, she will, she's currently spending a year touring the state of California, those various clubs on campus, talking to them all, and being involved with, with it. Uh, she wants to be a, a large animal veterinarian, which I'm sure she will be. But uh, anyways, it's fun. So we're going to L.A. for the Nationals, and she's getting an award this coming weekend, so we're going to fly down Friday night. That is fabulous. Now, well, don't let me talk for one more minute, but I have to tell you. Sure. I, her brother, who's a junior at, at uh, Elk Grove, uh, he's an Olympic gymnast. He's been to the uh, uh, Junior Olympics twice. He'll go again this year, and then he's shooting for the, for the Olympics. And the only thing about it is I've told him the same thing. You go to watch him. And it's a two-hour or three-hour meet. I'll probably see him perform for maybe ten minutes at the most, doing all of his things he do. And then you sit there for the other time. I thought if you played ball, you're playing all the time, and it's two hours, and it's a quicker game, and I can see it. <laughs> but anyways, long story short, he's doing very fine too. That's great. Well, back to baseball, and again, yes. uh, we're we're talking with coach Guy Anderson of Cordova High School. I want to take you back to a game in 1994. You had a solid club that year, uh, led by Harvey Hargrove, Good uh, your star pitcher shortstop. Yep. Uh, Cordova was picked to win the Metro League that year, but you opened it up, if you'll recall, with a 15-2 loss to Sakai. And after the game, you said, and I quote, reading from a Sacramento Bee story, the game ended at 6 o'clock, and my players were running at 7.30 that night. Then you come back the very next day and beat McClatchy 5-4 to four and didn't look back. How much does discipline like that count when you prepare a team after a big loss? Well, I, I, from a coaching standpoint, you'd think you, you wouldn't do it if you didn't think it, it would jar the, the mind a little bit to get what you wanted out of them. From a parent standpoint, you'd be pretty upset that the coach is out there running the sun after he got played the ball game and the like. So there's kind of two sides to it, but... I went out to, I took him out to right field, which was the furthest point of the ball field, and there was no houses. No internet, street, no social you media. You couldn't hear my, my voice too well. And I know I, I said a few things that I was not very ha happy with, uh, with them in the, as well. But sometimes, you know, uh, there's an old adage, you know, you, you, you've got a mule and you've got to cross the river and you start to pull him across the river, and he stops. He won't go in the water. And you say, hey, babe, come on, let's go, let's go. And he doesn't do it, and so you grab a two-by-four, and you crack it right across his hind end, and he goes across the river. So sometimes between that and that philosophy that goes with that, coaches utilize that. But uh, it just, uh, you know, I, I, it, it's, it's hard to tell. Uh, and, and, you know, this was great. This was an outstanding baseball team. But sometimes you had to jar them just a little bit to, to get them on track. Your daughter, Kelly, once told a reporter, he's the baseball guru who knows more about the game than God. Now, that's an incredible <laughs> statement, but probably not too far from the truth. Your 1984 team was one for the record book, and I know Kelly talks about that particular team. Okay. Uh, that that was the Zach Crouch team. In fact, right. the 80, 1984 Cordova had four section champions in different sports. Uh, you know, Jeff Lamar and Isaac Johnson were on that team. Crouch went thirteen and one. How special was that group? Well, that was a special group. And and if you uh, coach Jeff Lamar, that was even more of a special group. Probably Jeff Lamar probably falls in the category of a Jim Noonan, and and uh, just a uh, an outstanding catcher. 
but but he, his judgments sometimes after he went on, it's too bad he was in pro ball for a short period of time. And and uh, a great kid, just a tough, tough, real hard-nosed kid that had a, a little really tough home life for a while, and, but a real great kid. Uh, you know, that, that was, again, you know, you, as you, when you coach, you, you coach all types of kids, and, and you got to look for things that, that, that are positive out of sometimes negative things. And, and uh, uh, Lamar was, was a little tough to handle, but uh, he was a great defensive catcher, and he was a pretty good hitter as well. Sure. Who, uh, give me the other two uh, that you just gave well, me. Well, uh, Isaac Johnson yeah, was on that team. I, I can't Certainly. forget Isaac. Isaac was a, an outstanding shortstop, just a, a great one. And he got drafted by the Philadelphia Phillies, and uh, you know I, I I thought he would be up there for quite a quite a quite a spell, but he had a few personal problems that he had to handle that that caused him a little bit of problems. But uh, he he was as good a shortstop as I ever had. He was just a, and he's he's uh, coaching now, and he's uh, a couple of these clinics deals he does and and the like, and has given back to the to the game of, of baseball a great deal also. We're talking with Guy Anderson. We're in the uh, final uh, few minutes of our interview. You now, you coach. You served on the Cordova Recreation and Park District Board of Directors uh, for a number of years. Did you twenty-four? E- did you ever envision a career in politics? No, I, I, I'll tell you. I I enjoy being with the public. I enjoy speaking or talking and things of that nature as well. But uh, we had a back-to-school night at Cordova High School, and the parents of of uh, one of my uh, students, who happened to be Paul Hagen, and his da- daughter was Brenda Hagen, who was an outstanding uh, typist, came in and we talked for a few minutes. And he said, "You know, you're an athletic director as well. Would you kind of have the pretty good side of different things? Uh, you ought to run for for uh, board for the park district." I said, "Well, I, I give it some thought." So then I, I did. And I thought, "Well, I, you know, I, I loved parks and rec. I love recreation along with." athletics and the like so i thought I'll, I'll do it and i went down to sign up to get your name on the ballot and what have you and i never forget the gal said well uh for two hundred dollars you, you get a paragraph in the program so tell and i says well uh, how much is it for uh, my name and she said oh no no it doesn't cost any i said well just just put my name on my on the deal there as well and maybe some of my students will vote for me Ended up, I spent six terms, six four-year terms, 24 years on the board. Loved every minute of it. Again, Paul Hagen, a great superintendent. Neil Orchard, an outstanding superintendent. Uh, had a number of other superintendents until the last couple were a little, uh, when you compare them with those guys, they, uh, they weren't as, as the level that I thought they should be. I thought Neil was outstanding, and, and I know that... Uh, Paul was 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 great. They, they, you got to have when you're in Parks and Rec and you're developing, you got to have some vision, some real good vision. And these these all had vision of what w- if we did this, this, and this, this is what would take place. And that's why, I mean, a great great Parks and Rancher Cordova. And that's the reason I initially moved out here, uh, even though I got the, the the teaching job at Cordova High School. I moved out here because the parks were so good. Right. And, uh, and you know, they they got classes of various things as well. And then we 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 had one experience. I'll just give you a short tip, and because I heard something yesterday about they're going to have a program on Dungeons and Dragons on TV, and Dungeons and Dragons came about where you're playing like a chess game, only it's Dungeons and Dragons. And the church groups in Rancho Cordova, which Rancho Cordova is quite healthy with numbers of churches, were not very happy about this this game. And uh, they demonstrated at a number of our meetings and the whole bit. And my, my son-in-law, uh, Kelly's husband, uh, Robert, he played it a lot. And so I chat chatted with him a number of times but you know what what is this about and he says well it's you know it, it's no more than different than I- cowboys and indians are fighting each other <laughs> only you know you you have all of these kings and whatever and uh, it was you know it, it no different than playing checkers but the feeling was it encouraged the mind of young people to do some of these things that the dungeons and dragons took into place 
and we made national TV on it. Uh, we had television cameras all over a couple of our meetings and like because if we had, and then we had some some uh, ministers and what have you standing up telling them you're teaching the, the way of the Lord is not is what we do and you're teaching devilness and you know devilism and all that stuff it was a it was an exciting time of, it, it of sure that. was I yeah. remember some of that did, yeah. did you did you play the game did you uh, I never in, played. In, I never played in, the game of Dungeons and Dragons. Okay. I just listened to, to Robert tell me what it was about and the like. And I, I, I honestly, you know, I mean, I was serious about that. What, what was being done at, in the park district that, that brought this about is that they had a couple of classes to teach you how to play Dungeons and Dragons, and that was their their feeling that your your public place should not be doing this straying away from yeah. education yeah so fast I, fact on uh, guy anderson anderson during his first seven seasons at cordova your teams won 162 out of 200 games in fact you were the fastest coach in california to get to 150 wins uh, a little nugget that i was able to dig out yeah. at your uh, birthday celebration recently phil swimley was there yes which was nice Great to see friend. i know you've been friends with phil for years yes yes we uh uh, what do you call it? Uh, we put on clinics over at, at UCD, and we had a an academy over there for a number of years, uh, where we had kids come in and stay for the week and and teach them baseball. And, and uh, uh, Phil was a uh, he was a, an outstanding athlete and an outstanding player, and uh, played for the New York Yankees and quite successful. And and uh, uh, again, a, a fun guy to be around in, in a clinic and whatever, because you got to know. My, most of my game in teaching, I, I like the short game. I like the bunt. I like to hit and run. I like to do things, hit the opposite field and what have you. And and, and swim was always, well, you don't bunt, you give up an out. You don't want to give up an out. You want to swing the bat. Earl you know, yeah. And it, it, it was a kick, that, that part of it as well. But uh, swim's a great one. He really is. And he was an outstanding baseball player and a pretty good golfer today. Speaking of the, the nuances of the games, the hit and run, how are you on the new rules that are coming into Major League Baseball? What do, what do you see? I do not game? like them from one standpoint, that we have records that have been set. Now, I realize many years ago we had a baseball that wasn't as lively as the one it is today, and that probably added to some of the records of today over yesterday. But when you increase the base by three inches all the way around, You've now increased the uh, decreased the distance in running uh, by six inches from first base to second base. So you've added a a, a carrot to stealing, which that's what they want to do. Uh, to uh, tell a batter he has only eight seconds to get in the batter's box, he no longer can scratch his jock. He can't tug his ear. He can't take a breath and get himself clear to be able to hit hit the ball. It's coming 98 miles an hour. Uh, the pitcher. Is going to have a clock that's got to have his. He's got enough to talk about. He's got a square or a rectangle, rather, that he's got to throw to the corners at. And now he's got to look to make sure he's not too close to. to he'll get a balk uh, if it goes over the time limit. The latest one, and I heard this the other day from a. a they were interviewing a shortstop. I forget who he was. He said it's difficult that normally what you do at shortstop is you watch the pitcher wind up or from the stretch, and when he releases the ball, you automatically look to the strike zone. You see where the ball is coming, and therefore you have a pretty good, you might see it on the inside, lean a little bit. You can cheat a little bit to, to, feel the, to, to get the ball. Now, the shortstop is looking at the clock to see whether the pitcher has released the ball in time before he comes back to look at it. It's changed the complexion of the game, and uh, I kind of compare it, and yet it's proven itself okay when Sandy Koufax and Don Drysdale were pitching and the angle they were pitching at and the speed they were pitching at caused uh, the hitter to have a difficult time. And what did they do? They lowered the mound. Right. They dropped the mound. When you drop the mound, you drop the angle and a little less emphasis on your throwing as well because you're coming off a mound of, what, 10 inches instead of 16 or 18 inches, whatever it was at that time. And it, 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 it changed the game. It changed the game. But, God, it, it, you know, again, I, I could be on this kick and you got to shut your, your <laughs> mic off here pretty quick. But uh, I know what they're saying, but you have to understand the game too. And, and, and the game isn't made like basketball. And I love basketball. 
up and down the court, make the shot, boom, 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 change the score. That's one of the reasons I, I, I don't really personally enjoy soccer because they only score a couple of points, but they've been going up and down the field. You don't see the skill of getting that ball into the into a net like you do basketball. Uh, football's got a time limit uh, on everything they do. they got to get up and over the ball in certain many seconds and, and, and do it. Uh, so baseball is, is, is a game that you need to sit back and enjoy and, and, and not, we got to get it. God, it's an hour and a half. we got to get another half hour here. But you got to enjoy it. The fly ball to, to the left fielder. Did he get in position to catch the ball when there was a runner at second who would be tagging up to go to third, or did he just come in and go one hand and catch the ball? That's a skill level of appreciation, if that makes sense, of, sure. uh, uh, of the game. Uh, I watched Crawford for the Giants, uh, and as big as he is, he is the smoothest shortstop that you ever want to see. Is that all right? Yeah. Uh, but those kind, there's, there's a lot. The double play is a great play. And, 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 yes, I like the competitiveness of the score and who's winning, but there's a lot of – and I know they say it all the time, but it, there's a game within the game in baseball. Sure. And I, 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 the one thing I think they put in that I, I just – I know softball's had it for years, but when you go to extra innings, you put a man at – Oh, second the, base, the phantom runner at second. So you, you've given, we could do another hour on yeah, that. Yeah, and but. you get you you punish the pitcher by allowing that guy to go ninety feet. Period, without even any play on him at all, and he's out there, and so now you get a base hit. And now they're ahead by one run, and they want to try to reduce going 14, 18, 20 innings and utilizing all that pitching. But that's part of the game. Sure, sure. So anyways, uh, I'm not for it, for, to back to your original question. Yeah, I, I don't like the changes, but with one exception I have to just comment on. is that I, I, And they had to do it by rule of having your two uh, infielders on each side. You have to have two infielders on each side, and they have to be on the dirt. Right. I d- did not like where you took the shortstop and moved them out to – roving shortstop in right field. You took away the line drive base hits from the left-hander on that one. The left-handers like to pull that line drive. Uh, you took that away from, from the left-handed batter. And and, and uh, I just think that, you, you know, there are times, strate- strategy-wise, that you will bring an outfielder in to play infield. Now, I haven't seen this, and I don't know if they allow this now, but if I had a runner at third, and and I knew how I was going to pitch the the batters. I, I would bring an outfielder in to be right in back of second base, and I'd have closer uh, distance between each player to have the chance. If a ground ball came, I'll get the guy at the plate. If it's a fly ball, he's going to score anyways because he's going to catch the ball and it's too far out to throw him. So you pull an outfielder in to do that, or you take an infielder and put him in the outfield if you think you want to have four outfield. It I don't know. It, I, I I hate rules that take away from strategy that that's i guess my key uh there's nothing wrong with a second baseman playing almost in back of the first baseman but maybe two feet over because this guy pulls the ball all the time as long as he's on the dirt as long as he's on the dirt exactly coach we got to leave it there we could spend another hour talking about strategy (laughs) and baseball uh never-ending topic uh this has been fun a real pleasure well my Uh, thanks for coming in you know, it, it, you don't think of even being on this when you get the ideas we're talking about and what have you in life. But, uh, yeah, this, this this has been fun. What we call this a podcast, huh? That's Is right. That it's part of the Rancho Cordova podcast series by the California Capital Film Office. And uh, today's broadcast will air uh, in the coming days. So our guest today has been Guy Anderson, coach of Cordova High School Baseball for many years. Coach, thanks for being our guest today. Thank you, Michael. It's been a pleasure.